Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. Jim, let's dive right into our good martini. And by good, once again, it's good because the facts are coming to light. We haven't even hit phase two yet of uh, the Twitter files. Barry Weiss is uh, apparently putting together that reporting. But Matt Taibbi, who put together the thread that uh, came out late last week, had a supplemental thread yesterday. And again, this is only good because we know about it now. But he says, on Friday, the first installment of the Twitter files was published. We expected to publish more over the weekend, and many wondered why there was a delay. We can now tell you part of the reason why. On Tuesday... Twitter Deputy General Counsel and former FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was fired. Among the reasons, vetting the first batch of Twitter files without knowledge of new management. The process for producing the Twitter files involved delivery to two journalists, Barry Weiss and me, via a lawyer close to new management. However, after the initial batch, things became complicated. Over the weekend, while we both dealt with obstacles to new searches, it was Barry Weiss who discovered that the person in charge of releasing the files was someone named Jim. When she called to ask Jim's last name, the answer came back, Jim Baker. Quote, my jaw hit the floor, says Weiss. And so Baker, uh, he goes on to talk about how Baker was involved uh, with the Steele dossier and uh, other things that, let's just say, had a partisan tinge to them, to be very mild, over the past uh, several years here, Jim. So uh, once again, we've got the FBI. Uh, we already knew that they were, uh, you know, in touch with uh, Twitter, with Facebook, telling them to be on the lookout for things, including bogus stories about laptops and things like that. Uh, but now he was actually, as an employee of Twitter, trying to undermine Twitter's own operation here. And so uh, good that it's coming to light. Good that he's been fired. But man, this looks worse and worse every day. Yeah, and I think this is a good martini with a little bit of a bitter aftertaste. Um, because this is a, you know, fairly consequential revelation that raises the question of, is what we saw in that first report from Matt Taby, is that the complete story? Or did Jim Baker keep some, you know, consequential facts out of the information that was released to him? By the way, I really wish he had a name besides Jim Baker. <laughs> because I, I don't know about you, I think of the former Secretary of State and uh, Chief of Staff for for uh, their, during the Bush years, who I thought was a you know uh, maybe one of the last great American statesmen, and now we've got this other Jim Baker who is like the evil twin, I suppose. He also seems like something of a almost like Forrest Gump like character who keeps cropping up over and over again in the history of the woke left or the deep state, or however you want to classify it. Uh, people in positions of considerable public responsibility who are acting in a very partisan manner. So I, I don't think anything Taby released in the first batch is undone by this or uh, now is no longer reliable. But it is conceivable that there are there's information out there that Taby didn't get to see and that maybe there's other details in there that will flesh out this story more. Um, once again, I really would prefer if Twitter could just put this all in one document instead of one series of tweets. I think it just isn't as clear as it, uh, and easy to read as it could be, but nonetheless, it is kind of living down to the worst suspicions of people, uh, that there were figures in the FBI who had a, you know, very clear partisan or ideological agenda and who then went to Silicon Valley in the big tech world where they started making very similar decisions 
again, the only good news here is that it's coming out. And I think Taby and Musk have uh, handled this, you know, in a, in a pretty darn open manner. Um, the, you know, comment, his explanation was not convincing, was was kind of, you know, you kind of wish you would have been able to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. But uh, again, better that we know more about what's going on inside Twitter. And I think the level of interest in this is uh, is well justified. Yeah, and it certainly, uh, you know, confirms some of the, the worst instincts we had, not only dating all the way back to 2016 and how the FBI uh, was involved with the Steele dossier, but uh, apparently it was ongoing for uh, a number of years here and was still going on as Baker was in the private sector. And Jim, you know, we keep hearing about this, well, does it really constitute a First Amendment infringement if the government wasn't directly involved? Depends on your definition of directly. Um, I don't, you know, he wasn't currently a government employee, but we don't know who he was in contact with, and we don't know whose bidding he was doing potentially here. I mean, uh, we're if, if we're not there already, we're getting pretty darn close. Greg, you see these statements, and I kind of wonder. Maybe there was a time. I'm going to say pre 1998, before. Well, it depends on what the definition of is is. Um, <laughs> but I think we've all. Yeah, certainly if you follow the news closely, you've kind of developed these instincts and these reflexes to seek out and spot weasel words and to you know find cases where the wording is, well, how are you defining direct involvement? Does that mean that there was indirect involvement? Was there, you know, uh, you know, did you was there casual behind the scenes discussions of this that may have influenced decisions? That sort of thing. So um kind of frustrating. Uh, to see here, but I guess we've all gotten used to it. And I think there probably was a time where statements like that probably wouldn't get the scrutiny uh, and maybe skepticism that you're seeing today. Well, that kind of frustration about what might be going on at the uh, supposed offices of the impartial parts of our government uh, is enough to pull your hair out, or it might lead you to drink. Uh, And if you uh, have that reaction, or you just love your actual martinis, not just the three martini lunch, don't forget about your liver. Uh, Your liver is your body's master detoxifier. It performs over 500 key functions in your body every day. It needs help, especially if you're not treating it well. And fortunately, there's help. It's called Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula contains 12 powerful botanicals that are clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. It helps restore your liver's detoxifying abilities. It boosts your energy levels, and it can kick your natural metabolism into a higher gear. And they're offering free stuff. You can try Liver Health Formula completely risk-free and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you'll receive a free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega-3. Then you'll also get four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity, regardless of age. Don't miss out on this great deal. Go to getliverhelp.com martini or call toll-free 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of Liver Health Formula and all five bonus gifts. That's getliverhelp.com martini or call 800-282-1757. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And uh, to little surprise, we're going to talk a little bit about the Georgia Senate runoff yesterday. I don't think we talked about it that much uh, in the month since the midterm elections. I think partly because uh, we had a lot to dissect from a, a surprisingly bad midterm election for Republicans, although they will narrowly take the House, of course. And because it, uh, we just, I think we both had this gut instinct that Warnock was probably going to hang on, which he did. Uh, if you want to put it in football terms, Herschel Walker was tackled inside the three. As of right now, he lost by less than three points. I'm sure there's still a few votes straggling in. And that beat what the polls were saying in the past few days. So potentially uh, that's a hat tip to Brian Kemp's get out the vote operation. He did everything he could to help Herschel Walker, but uh, 
Jim, now that the midterm season is officially over, I mean, the disappointment and what to do about it is is absolutely critical because we've got a presidential election coming up, a very favorable Senate map uh, in 2024, uh, some House seats that we should have picked up this time that uh, will certainly be a possibility to pick up next time. And so we talked about it before, about candidate quality, leadership at the RNC, I would add leadership in both chambers of Congress, potentially. And so there's a lot of finger pointing. Nobody ever wants to take responsibility. And if you point in too many directions, nobody's going to remember it. So how do you distill it? Well, by the way, after our last sponsor, maybe distill is the, the correct word. <laughs> um, the, the first thing that jumps out at me is that 194,000 people who voted for Herschel Walker in November did not vote yesterday or early vote in the runoff. If he'd had those votes, he would have won. The margin was something like 70,000 votes, I want to say, or maybe 90,000. Um, there was considerable drop-off, and I'd expected it was going to go to a runoff. I thought Walker was going to win the runoff, at least back in my predictions. And one of the factors I thought was I thought this, uh, there's a very good chance that the control of the Senate would be at stake. You know, it would be this would decide which party controls the Senate, or Republicans would have won control of the Senate and that this would just be adding to that majority and that you'd have fired up Republicans and depressed Democrats. That didn't happen. I think uh, when Adam Laxalt conceded the Nevada Senate race, it made the job much tougher for Herschel Walker. I think you look at that, you know, roughly 200,000 fewer votes cast for Walker. I think a good chunk of those were probably pro-life Georgia Republicans who we're willing to vote for him if it was the you know, difference between a Democratic-controlled Senate and a Republican-controlled Senate. But when it was just him, and there was no Brian Kemp on the ballot, and there was no other Georgia Republican on the ballot, they just weren't as motivated. They just couldn't bring themselves to go out and vote for him. Oh, by the way, I think a very important point to keep in mind here is you say, ah, oh, you know, well, it's a rough year for Republicans all across the country. Okay, but it wasn't really a rough year for Georgia Republicans. Georgia Republicans, other than the U.S. Senate race, won every statewide election. They also won large majorities in the state house and the state senate, but perhaps even more significantly, in every one of those statewide races, Republicans won more than 50%. I looked it up, the lowest percentage of anybody else was Burt Jones winning 51.39%. If Herschel Walker had won as many votes as Burt Jones, Herschel Walker would be a US senator. So I think this is on Herschel Walker. The other thing is I don't see any way where the various allegations and accusations against him weren't a major factor. I saw, already saw somebody in the comments section arguing, well, this is a problem for Republicans and because of the issue of abortion. Well, if you mean all the abortions that Walker allegedly paid for, then yeah. Yeah, I think abortion was an issue in this race. I don't think the you, if you want to say, oh, well, but being pro-life hurt Walker. Well, then why didn't it hurt Brian Kemp? Why didn't it hurt any other Republican running in the state of Georgia? That strikes me as attempting to shift blame from Walker himself to a position that I'm not, you know, I certainly you can probably find places in the country where being pro-life is an obstacle to Republicans. I don't think you could say that's the case in Georgia. Also, you know, look, Walker was not an effective communicator. Uh, apparently towards the end, they had other senators kind of sitting with him on a buddy system in some of these televised interviews uh, because he kept, you know, forgetting uh, to remind people to vote and remind people to donate to his campaign. And there was a the nutty comments about werewolves and it just, he was not a good candidate. And I, I look at it and I think like, okay, former professional athlete. I mean, Jack Kemp was a former football player. You know, if you're willing to do the work, you can be a good candidate. I think what was extraordinarily frustrating about Walker was 
either he wasn't willing to do the work or whatever practice or efforts he was doing didn't seem to help. Um, he just kind of struggled to articulate, uh, you know, put several sentences together. Um, and so I think it's deeply frustrating. I think this is just kind of furthers that narrative that Trump helped encourage candidates or Trump endorsed candidates who were able to win their primary, but who were exceptionally difficult to elect in general election. Walker might be a little bit different because he was the University of Georgia football star and, and played in the NFL a lot of years. Um, I had kind of believed that, well, okay, look, there are a lot of University of Georgia graduates, a lot of Uni University of Georgia fans who no doubt have fond memories of Herschel Walker and that they'd vote for him. Well, the other thing is that that was like back in 1980. Georgia's had a lot of people move to it in the last 40 years. It's a different state then. So that, you know, that nostalgia and those warm, fuzzy feelings for what a good college football player he was are only going to take you so far. And it turned out to be just short. I think if there's any like silver lining to this, is I think Democrats are going to look at Warnock and say, ah, well, we've turned it into a blue, a blue state now. And as I just said, you look overall, it really isn't. Uh, I think it's a matter of Warnock being fairly lucky in the circumstances of his races and lucky in the opponents that he has faced. I don't know if Ossoff would you say is a surefire for another term. Uh, when he runs, I think Republicans have it within them to run much more competitive races and winning races in Georgia. In fact, they proved that this year. They just need to nominate candidates who are much better at uh, uh, you know communicating and who don't carry nearly as much baggage as Walker did. And then you know if you can come within three points in circumstances like this, you're probably you know capable of doing much better with an even marginally better candidate. Well, the good news for Republicans is if Stetson Bennett, the current Georgia quarterback, is a Republican, he's 25, <laughs> so in six years he's eligible to run for the Senate. There you go. There you go. Maybe. I think there was somebody who speculated that uh, Georgia, of Georgia, University of Georgia is undefeated at this point, right? I'm, I'm... That is correct. Uh, and obviously enthusiasm for University of Georgia football is at its peak. So look, th these are probably about as good an environment in terms of the sports environment that uh, Walker could ever possibly hope for. Uh, clearly it wasn't enough. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, I assume, you know, you try to tie in with the, you know, with the current team and, and, you know, campaign at the, the parking lot at games and, you know, stir up that, uh, demographic as much as possible. But in the end, you needed to fight this race in the, uh, suburbs of Atlanta. And it does not appear that Walker was, uh, the kind of candidate who could do that effectively. By the way, after picking up zero Senate seats in what should have been a red wave year, barely taking the House and picking up just one governorship while losing three. Uh, the Republicans look like they're going to keep the same RNC chair. Lee Zeldin today saying he's not going to seek it. Uh, that leaves the only uh, uh, major challenger to Ronna McDaniel as Harmeet Dillon. But as Harmeet Dillon's Twitter page would point out, uh, she feels like the system's already stacked uh, in McDaniel's favor. And so, Jim, we're probably stuck with the exact same team going forward for the next two years. Yeah, and look, after great results like this, who could be frustrated? This is, you know, akin to keeping Adam Gase in place. Uh, <laughs> this is akin to, who is the least favorite Bears coach you've had over the years? Gosh, that's a good one. Uh, Mark Tressman probably climbs to the top right away. Okay, yeah, this is this is keeping someone who's accumulated a terrible record. So, you know, but now they're going to get it. This time they're going to do much better. Oh, by the way, I think you look at that record, which I think was the first time since 1934 that the party that uh, controlled the Senate did not lose a single seat in a midterm election. I think Rick Scott has to take some uh, some grief for this, too. He can point out that, look, you know, he didn't select the candidates. He did not endorse the candidates. The National Republican Senatorial Committee was neutral in the primaries. And I think we can look at that and say, 
that is an indicator you should have taken sides in these primaries because a whole bunch of these guys were impossible to elect even in near ideal you know economic political ideological circumstances i'm sure some bears fans are out there saying what about matt Nagy?" we did go to the playoffs <laughs> twice with matt Nagy, maybe despite him but uh we still got there i'm still gonna go with trustman on that one no offense to mr trustman it was not a good two years though but I'll tell you what is good, and that's Omaha Steaks. I really, truly, genuinely love these. Every time we make uh, an Omaha Steaks filet mignon or a burger or the dogs, it's not just easy and convenient. It really is a delicious meal, and your friends and family are going to love it when you give it to them this season. And it's a phenomenal deal right now, 50% off site-wide, plus an additional $40 off when you use our promo code MARTINI. We're talking favorites like the legendary butcher's cut filet mignon, the air-chilled boneless chicken, those ultra-juicy burgers, and all kinds of meals that can be ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right away, so you should be shopping early and beating the shipping rush. Everything is backed by the unconditional 100% money-back guarantee. And remember, there's a reason why Omaha Steaks has been the leader of gourmet steaks and food for over a century. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. And now, order with complete confidence today, knowing you are ordering the very best. Listen to this deal again. Visit omahasteaks.com to save 50% site-wide and use our promo code MARTINI at checkout to get an extra $40 off your order. Minimum order may be required. OmahaSteaks.com, promo code MARTINI at checkout. OmahaSteaks.com, code MARTINI. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And one of the bright spots in California this year was when the San Francisco DA, Chesa Boudin, was bounced overwhelmingly by those rock-ribbed conservative voters in San Francisco. Uh, there was a similar effort to get rid of Los Angeles DA George Gascon, but somehow, once again, Republicans didn't get their act together in getting the petitions done correctly, if that's in fact what happened, and so the recall never happened. But now we have more evidence of why there really needs to be one. Uh, Fox News, prosecutors in Los Angeles County will now have to weigh the effects charging decisions will have on the immigration status of suspects and are encouraged to seek diversion programs to help avoid deportations, according to a new directive. The policy from District Attorney George Gascon is another in a long list of progressive measures to overhaul how justice is sought in the nation's largest district attorney's office. According to the policy, which was obtained by Fox News, alternatives to criminal convictions should be considered, such as avoiding charging for criminal enhancements, which can significantly increase one's prison sentence. That would turn an otherwise immigration-neutral offense into an immigration-damaging one. Quote, that's basically saying we're going to give you a pass because you used a gun, Eric Siddle, vice president of the Association for Deputy District Attorneys of Los Angeles County, told Fox News Digital. So basically the gist here, Jim, is that the DA, regardless of what you've done, it seems, uh, his main goal is to make sure that if you're here illegally or this could threaten your immigration status, uh, that we don't get you deported. Uh, if you live in Los Angeles County, uh, you would probably want his number one priority to be stopping crime, putting criminals away, but no. My dear friends in California, elections have consequences. And we can point to good examples. That San Francisco District Attorney recall election held in June that led to the removal of Chesa Bowden. London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, had been drifting away from the abolish the police, cut the police budget stance for a while. She only accelerated it even further and kind of admitted that, you know, recognized that there was great frustration on quality of life, street conditions, crime, homelessness, substance abuse, all that kind of stuff. And how quickly and how intensely did that change the political culture of San Francisco? 
Well, listeners, you may or may not have heard last week the news that San Francisco has said, yes, we will be deploying robots that have the ability to use lethal force if necessary in conditions. They've gone from abolish the police to OCP's ED-209 from Robocop. <laughs> that's that's how intensely they change. Now, we can argue that they really overshot the target. And in fact, maybe you should try more human cops. Maybe, maybe that, that's actually what would work. Let's say, you know, if, if robots can clean up, say, all the feces on the street, that would be a really great thing. Let's give them that responsibility. And then let's give the robots guns and see how that works. Um, but you look at San Francisco. I don't know. Well, first of all, I, I don't know. The, obviously, the, the recall effort against District Attorney Gascon did not get, you know, did not proceed, did not succeed. But I still think that if Rick Caruso had won the mayor's race out there. I don't know if you'd be seeing this decision from this district attorney. Uh, Caruso was running explicitly on the issues of crime and uh, uh, homelessness. You know, he was technically a Democrat, but he was still on the board of the Reagan Foundation. And he'd been a a Republican earlier in his life. So he was as close as you were going to get to a conservative Republican for the office of mayor of uh, Los Angeles. And he came close, but fell short, spent a ton of his home, uh, of his own fortune. He was, you know, self-financing a very successful real estate developer out there. And there were enough, there were these definitely uh, celebrities endorsed him. There were definitely Los Angelinos who realized the status quo wasn't working. Karen Bass was a reflection of the democratic machine and she had just enough support in order to win. Well, I think Gascon is interpreting that as a sign of People, yeah, there are people out there who aren't happy with the way I'm doing it, but there are more people who are just fine because I'm a Democrat, because I'm a progressive, and I continue to make I can make moves like this one. And I'm never going to face any consequence from the public. So I'm sorry, Los Angelinos. I think you had your chance. I think you missed that chance, and now you're forced to live with the consequences of relentless progressive, uh, soft on crime attitudes from your people whose job is to keep you safe. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Maybe it's time to move. That's what they were elected to do. That's not what's happening, though. Another sentence here. Prosecutors are still barred, meaning it was already the case, from cooperating with federal immigration authorities. Whose side are you on? That's, uh, I guess you're on the criminal side. A lot of the time in Los Angeles County. Unbelievable. Uh, Jim, on that sterling note, we will reconvene for tomorrow. See you then. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already, and please tell a friend about us as well. Thank you for those five-star ratings and your very kind comments. Please keep those coming. They are a big help to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Go out and get Jim's brand new book, Gathering Five Storms, and the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Have a great Wednesday, and join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.